Well, I have the privilege um, of introducing our guest preacher uh, this morning. Uh, his name is Chris Foltz, and, uh, and Chris and I actually go way back. We served together at, uh, at my last church uh, for several years. Uh, Chris was actually my first hire uh, back in the day. And, uh, and so Chris is a dear friend of mine, and this is like a treat for me to, to see one of my closest friends up here just serving us in the preaching of God's Word and, and challenging us with this topic of, of evangelism. And a couple things you need to know about Chris. He's a graduate of Southern uh, Seminary, uh, also Cedarville University. Uh, he's married to Grace. Eli's here, their son. Uh, but the, the thing I want you to know about Chris um, is not only is he one of the most consistent servants I know, he's always serving, but he loves Jesus. Like when you talk to him, just oozes Jesus and just a joy in him. And you're going to see a passion for Jesus come out in the way that he preaches. And uh, so I'm so thankful that you're here. Why don't you come on up here and, and bring the word and, uh, and just challenge you, church, just to be receptive for what he has to say today. That's great. What an introduction. So many tears. It's exciting for me to be here. Um, I, I take this very seriously. I'm so, um, I don't know, my heart is very like turned today as I sit here. Um, I have, I don't just know Chris, I know uh, Tim, I know Joel, like from way back, different times. I know um, a lot of your leaders here and, and it's just an honor to be here and share this stage with them. Um, but one thing I want to say before like I start with anything is to encourage you as a church like to to not take for granted the leaders that you have. Um, these are some of my close friends, and because they're my close friends, I know that, that they are, are men of integrity and character, that, that Chris, Tim, even Joel uh, has integrity. <laughs> but they are, they are men who, who are, are following Jesus with their hearts, with their lives, with everything in them, and, and they're not devoted to you first. They're devoted to Jesus first, and they're chasing after Jesus with everything that they have. And so I would encourage you, Follow them, because if you follow them, you will eventually get to Christ. And so where they're going, go, listen to them, cherish them. Um, these are my, my friends. They're great. So enough of that sappy stuff. Uh, I'm Chris. I'm excited to be here. I actually grew up here, um, in, not necessarily in Fishers, but I grew up in Westfield, Indiana. So Westfield was like this small when I moved there. In 2003, there was cornfields, and uh, Clay Terrace was not even there. Um, so I've grown up and watched like Westfield just explode, right? And then, then there's this place in, called Fishers, right, where I went to school off of 80th and Keystone, and a lot of my friends at that school lived here. They lived in Fishers, and it was, again, this tiny little place. I used to do little car washes off at that Kroger off of 116th and Allisonville. I assume that's still there. There's a pizza hut right there where I went to a bunch of Josh Hendricks' birthday parties. You don't know who Josh is, but he was a good friend. We go to birthday parties there every single year. Uh, it, it's just like being here in this area is exciting to me. I grew up at a church off of 116th and Allisonville that there, it doesn't exist anymore. I have so many like fond memories of this area. Um, but a lot of things have have changed about this area. If you've lived here for a while, you realize like, oh, this, it's exploded. It, there's so much growth. Um, and when I, when I drive around in Westfield or I drive around here, it's like, I don't, it, I don't even recognize it. It's not really home. There's, there's so much that has changed about it. But one thing that I know has not changed um, is that there are people in this, this neighborhood, and there's actually a lot more people now who are here who don't know Jesus. 
They were there then, and they're, they're here today, and they're, they're flooding the streets. There are so many people who don't know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't know him. Their kids don't know him. And, and if, you, if you remember, like, the church is actually God's plan A for sharing his message. We're not plan B. We're not an afterthought of after Jesus is ascending, he's like, oh, shoot, I forgot. How are the, how's the message going to get out? Like, I didn't send that mass email. Like, he is... He is, plan A is this right here. You guys who are here, all of you, we are the ones who are responsible to take this message of Jesus and carry it forward. He didn't make a mistake. We're not an afterthought. We are the ones who are responsible for this. And so I want to talk this morning about how to share the gospel, how to do that practically. Um, you've already seen from, from the God at Work segment there, like, there's ways to do this, and there's uncomfortable ways, there's things that were going to stretch us a little bit. And I pray that this morning you feel uncomfortable. Because you should. The task is very, very great. There are so many people who don't yet know Jesus, but you, you do. And it's your responsibility, it's my responsibility, it's our responsibility to take this seriously and to charge the gates of hell and bring some of those people over here where it's a party with Jesus. All right, so one thing, if you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians um, 4, we're going to be there. Verses 9 through 12, one thing Chris forgot to mention as he introduced me is that I am taller than him and funnier than him. So <clears throat> Chris thinks he's funny, and that's funny. So we're going to start off. It's going to be a great time. Um, I want to I read 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 12, and then we'll, we'll jump in. It says this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but for we urge you, I urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to love one another, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. Let me pray over the word. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for not only um, the written word of God, but, but the word that became flesh and Jesus and the example of Christ that, that you left to, that was that's so kind, so caring, so loving that he would give himself and his life for us. And I pray that we would echo that, that we would give our lives to him, that we would hear your word. We would let your spirit pierce our hearts and challenge us, convict us, and correct us in what we are doing in regards not only to evangelism, but the ways that we let our hearts wander from you um, each and every day. I pray that you would open us up to hear the message this morning. Amen. I don't know when the last time you read 1 Thessalonians is, um, or if you have any background in knowing what it's about, but there's, there's two main themes that I think help us jump into this topic and understanding of evangelism. Um, the first theme in 1 Thessalonians is the second coming of Jesus, that he's coming back. Paul's writing to sort of explain a little bit of the details and the understandings of the second coming of Christ, and he talks all about it throughout the book. But the second thing that, he, that is a theme in 1 Thessalonians is brotherly love. You saw that, saw that from the first verse of 1 Thessalonians 4.9. He's saying, you guys, you guys get this. You guys have this brotherly love that is unmatched, that is spoken of all throughout um, all the regions around Thessalonica, all that. There's these two main themes that he's writing about. 
And I think when they collide is why we can read this book and understand a little bit about evangelism. The, the coming of Jesus Christ for the second time should motivate us to share with people who don't yet know Christ that that's coming. That there will be a day of reckoning. That there will be a day when, when God calls those of, those, those of us who follow him into the air. And, and there's a lot of people that won't go with him if we don't share that news but not only does it help us and motivate us to actually picture the imminent return of Christ, he shows us how to do it. He talks about their love. The, the love is the thing that actually propelled this church's growth forward. The fact that they loved one another. They cared for one another. They were practicing those one another's of Scripture with one another and hanging out and actually showing and putting on display for those outsiders the love of Jesus. All right? And so before we jump into the specific nuts and bolts of um, verses 9 through 12, and all that it, that it has to say about evangelism, I want to sort of talk from the backbone of the book, um, the backbone of this entire sermon and of evangelism itself, and it's this. That genuine care is a prerequisite for sharing your faith in a genuine way. That's the way that I would say it. But, but the Bible is talking about this love that they had one another that just ignited a flame. But, but if you read this slide, like, and I, I think you, you know deep down it's true, if you don't genuinely care about the people that you're sharing the gospel with, it comes across very, very disingenuous. It comes across as fake. And when I was at Cedarville, I took this class. It's called Personal Evangelism. Um, and they talk all about this exact subject of how you share your faith. How do you just engage a random stranger on the street to talk about Jesus? How you talk to your neighbors about them? And one of the things at the end of the class that they made us do is they made us all get in a bus together and they drove us to this mall, all right? So we go to this mall in Dayton, Ohio, and they drop you off and they say, good luck. Share the gospel. Convert some people. Get them saved. Whatever it is, it's just like this is a project of the class is to just show up at a random mall and try to get some people saved. Like, this is great. Let's go for it. I'm 20 years old, and so I have this amazing idea. I have this great strategy. I don't know how to talk to strangers. I don't like talking to strangers. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll practice some like random acts of kindness throughout the day that will allow me and give me a platform then to maybe start a conversation about whatever, Jesus. Somehow I'll figure out how to get there from there, but I'm going to start with these random acts of kindness. So I promise I am smart, okay? But this was my plan, and I'm telling you this with a lot of regret, but this was my plan. I had four quarters in my pocket. So I posted up by the gumball machines, and my thought was, as kids come by with their families, I'll buy the kids gumballs and start a conversation with the adults about Jesus. The kids think this is a great strategy. But the parents are like, what? Like, this is the worst idea I've ever heard. This is like, you're just going to offer kids candy in a mall as a stranger. This seems like a bad idea. I should have thought of that, and you realize I should have thought about that, but I didn't think about it, and I was like, okay, cool. And so I got to have exactly zero conversations with anyone about Jesus that day, because it failed miserably. And parents, obviously, like I have a four-year-old sitting right here, like if I see some six-foot-three guy just lingering by the gumball machines, I'm like, all right, well, let's just go this way. We don't need gum ever. Just stay away from that guy. Like, it was a bad idea, it was a bad strategy, and in my mind, I think, I just, I didn't even think about it or whatever, but the, the problem was my motivation. And here's the thing, a lot of times when it comes to evangelism, when you have the wrong motivation, the, the way that that outputs itself 
is not good. It's probably not as bad as what I did, but it's not great. It doesn't come across as genuine. People can see through it. When you, because some random pastor that's a guest speaker, when you respond to what he said tomorrow and you are only trying to preach the gospel out of obligation, you are going to preach a false, fake gospel. That's what will happen. When you don't actually care about the person, the, the, the one who is a God has died for and given his son up for, when you don't care about that person and you try to present the gospel, it comes across fake. And the reason it comes across as fake is because you don't actually care about them. And so this is, my, this is the main backbone of the entire sermon. This is the backbone of this understanding about evangelism is we've got to care about our neighbors. You have to actually care about that coworker that sits across from you. You've got to actually have your heart open to them or any strategy, no matter how well-developed it is, will fall flat. we got to do this because we're modeling the love of Jesus and the way that he loves us. Therefore, we ought to love one another. And I think there's some of you in the room that you hear that, and it's a good reminder, but, but you, you do care about people. You have a heart that desires that people would come to know Jesus, and you, you wouldn't say, like, well, I, don't, I just don't care about people. That's why I don't share the gospel. There's another barrier that I think we have to address before we walk into these verses um, and it's that, that when we think about sharing the gospel, the, the barrier is not that we don't care about people. The barrier is that we think that we're inadequate. The barrier is that we're insecure about how to talk about our faith. Maybe we didn't go to a seminary. Maybe we didn't, like we just got saved recently. Maybe you have tried in the past to share your faith with someone and failed miserably and you never want to relive that. But we think that it's about us, that, that we, we have to have everything put together. We have to be like, Chris Beals, and he could share the gospel, right? Like, because he's big, and he's like, man, this powerhouse of, he uses the word gospel every six seconds. Like, he ought to be able to share it and do well, but you feel like you're not him. And we see sometimes our sinfulness and our weakness and our inadequacy as a barrier to the gospel, but this is the reality, that our sinfulness is not a barrier to the gospel. It's the proof that the gospel is actually good news, That if you only share the good things, if you only share your faith in the, in the way that just says like, yeah, I, I trusted Jesus and then he made my life perfect and I don't sin anymore. I don't have any struggles anymore. And it's great. Life with Jesus is great. And come hang out with us in my church where we're all perfect and people get turned off to the gospel because they can't relate to that. They know their lives. They know their sinfulness, whether they would call it that or not. And they think, well, those people are fake. Those people are hypocritical. Their lives can't truly be that perfect. But it's, it's not, it's not Jesus' fault. It's our fault that we don't share the full totality of the gospel. That the gospel, every single day of my life, is amazing news because I'm not an amazing person. If we're not willing to, to be vulnerable with people and share our sinfulness and our struggles side by side with our faith, I don't think we're ready to share the gospel yet because you're not going to share a true version of it. For me, like, I have to do this. And, and I know today, like, I, I would feel like a hypocrite if I got up here and didn't preach the totality of the truth. They're like, I am a sinner. Right? Like, today I will sin. 
And I know the way that I will sin, and I, I want to stop it. I know I even knew I was going to say this today, and I should try really hard not to sin in this way, but I already let the thought get into my mind. Like, I love Chris. Chris is great. And the way that I will sin today is I will value what Chris's opinion of this message is over what Jesus' opinion of this message is. I will be insecure about, there's Joel, right there. I know Joel. I love Joel. He's a good friend of mine, and I will care about what he thinks. I will care about what you think. I will care that a bunch of people didn't sit over here because they saw me spit in first service, right? Like that I will care about those things, and I will place my identity in those things instead of in the way that Christ views me. That I should be 100% secure in who I am. And I'm able then from that place of understanding that like, man, I'm not a perfect person that I can stand in front of a couple hundred people and just say, I'm the worst. And not care about it. Because my identity is hidden in him. But when I share those things, I had someone come up to me after first service and they said, yeah, that's it. That's the key. Like, I've tried before to share my faith when people didn't really know me, they didn't know the real things going on in my life, and it came across as fake to me, and it came across as fake to them. But when I started being honest about what was really going on in my heart and in my life, man, people started connecting to me, they started relating to me, and I was able to share the gospel in an effective way. And so I put those two things there and say, let's, let's understand that we've got to actually care about people. We've got to care about people if we're going to share our faith in a way that is genuine and effective. And we cannot be afraid of our sin and our shame and all the things that we've done wrong because that is going to be the catalyst that helps people attach to you and say, oh, that's a real person. They have real struggles. They have real issues. They have real problems. And their faith is what propels them forward. Their faith, this Jesus guy, is what gives them hope that I don't have. It gives them like an understanding of truth that I don't have. And they're going to want that Jesus, not the fake perfect Jesus. Well, Jesus is perfect. His perfection is not fake. Sorry, Chris. It's heretical. I just said something. Either way. Cool. Let's move on. Going back to the notes. We're getting it. It's going to be great. So, also... I do want to say this. If you haven't noticed already, I am much less formal than Chris is. So just be prepared for those things to happen. I'm just going to say what happens. All right? I messed up a bunch of slides in the first service. It was my fault. I blame the guys in the back. It's totally my fault. See, I'm just, I'm not great. That's how I sinned another way today. I called out my friends back there that helped me switch my slides so you could have them in the right order. And this is the next slide. These are the three things that we're going to go over today that come straight from 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12, and it is principles for how we ought to then share Jesus with other people. These three truths are not at all groundbreaking. They are not alliterated. They are whatever. They are just things that the Scripture says, and I want us to dive into them. Number one, live a simple life. Number two, mind your own business. And number three, work hard. And those three things you don't have to write super fast. I'm going to go now through each one of them. Um, and so the first one is this. Live a simple life. Paul says it this way. He says to live quietly. Um, in the translation I have, we want to aspire to live a quiet life. And I think for most of us here, when it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to relational evangelism and caring for our neighbors, this one is going to be the most difficult for pretty much everyone in the room. Because if you're thinking about your life and I think about my life, like our lives are anything but simple. 
hate to break it to you, there's kids in the room, but in four days, it is August, which means what? School. We're in a school. Everything's like, the kids are just so angry. You're going back to school really soon. That's a bummer. But what happens when you go back to school is your schedule goes crazy, right? Like you have so many things that are about to this next week, this next month, add on to your calendar. I can see some of you fidgeting with anxiety just because I mentioned all those things. You know what's going to happen. You know what's ahead. You know that you're going to have all these sports are coming back into session. Cheerleading, because it's not a sport, comes back into session. Like All these things come onto your calendar and they invade you. And there's other people's expectations and they say, hey, maybe we should do this. And, And it's not even all bad things. Right? Like maybe it's a small group. You guys, are, you guys are about to go through re-engage. It's this marriage ministry, right? Like maybe that's something that's on your calendar. But if you're not careful, every single night of the week, something will pop into that schedule. You will not have time for your marriage. You won't have time to invest in your children. You won't have time to invest if you're single into trying to meet other people. You will not have time to do almost anything for anyone but yourself and the things on your schedule. So how can you think? that you will have any time to invest in people that you don't know that don't yet know Jesus. Our lives are absolutely overrun with commitments. And if the church is plan A for how the the message of the gospel is going to go forward, then that, that plan A needs to clear some time out of its schedule to do its job. But most of us don't know how to do this. We don't know how to live a simple life. And that's, I think Paul is is wise and he's writing this with the Spirit inspiring him saying, man, what you need to do, if you want this abundant love to continue more and more, he says in the text, then you need to aspire to live a simple life. And I would challenge you, try hard this fall, try hard in the next few months to think through how can I make my life more simple? And not only that, but but specifically in regards to evangelism, to be a consistent presence in the lives of other people. To carve out some time to think through in your mind who has God strategically placed me in their lives that I could invest in them, and it starts with being a consistent presence in their lives. It doesn't mean you just go and do what Chris is saying, like you just gospel vomit all in one conversation. It's not about carving out time in a schedule to share the gospel with someone, it's carving out time to be a consistent presence in their life. Because what happens when you're a consistent presence in their life, when you are all the time involved with them, what happens is they start to trust you. They start to be friends with you. They start to listen to the things that you say. They start to care about those things. And over time, you build some trust with them. And when you cash in those chips and talk about Jesus they might actually attach to it because you're not just some stranger trying to give them a sales pitch. You're their friend. But not only if you're a consistent presence in their life will they trust you, but your heart will open to them. You'll start to develop a love and a care for them. And they're not some some person on the street that you're like, well, I think think they have a couple kids. I don't really remember their names or whatever it is. They become real people with real stories, with real hurt and pain, and you can see how their lives need to be impacted by Jesus. And you start to love them. And so I would challenge you, be consistent in their lives. Carve out some time, live a simple life, and get into the mess with the sinners. Now, here's a question that is very difficult to answer. Is, great, I got that, I need to be consistent with them, but what in the world do I do 
when I get into this like conversation with them about Jesus, what happens? Like, how do I even start this conversation? Like, is there a magic, like non-cheesy church pickup line that I can use that you know? Like, no, there's really not. Like, I don't know how you do it. You can't just be like, hey, have you met my friend Jesus over here? Like, uh, nope, it doesn't work like that. You've got to figure out how to start conversations. And so I want to give you some, some tools and some practical, like, here's four things on a slide that are hopefully helpful. I'm going to talk through them sort of quick, but, but here's how I would, I would suggest trying to start conversations with people. Um, number one is I would share what's God, what God's doing in your life. So often when we think about people that need Jesus, we start about trying to pinpoint the areas in their life that they need Jesus. We look at them and it's like, oh yeah, they have a really, really bad marriage. Maybe I can bring up something about that. That's a bad idea. Just stop. Don't do that. Don't bring up, like, you share about what God's doing in your life, in your marriage, with your children. You share these things and it goes with that, like, the, the sinfulness not being a barrier to our ability to evangelize, but, but being uh, really the proof that it's good news. When you start to share the way that the good news of, of Christ impacts your day-to-day life with these people, over time, they'll start to hear it. They'll start to understand, and maybe they'll actually ask you some questions like, man, like, what would you do if you were in my situations? If you are sitting here, you're sharing what God's doing in your life, and you're constantly asking them some intentional questions, which is number two, like, hey, what would you do if you were me? How would you handle this situation? I'm having this problem with my, with my kid. I'm having this problem at work. How would you handle this? And you ask intentional questions of them. Eventually, if they're your friend, they're going to reciprocate that. They're going to start to open the door to hearing what you have to say. And you build that trust up. So share what God's doing in your life first. Ask some intentional questions. And even like ask intentional questions when it, in, regarding, in regards to like, things that are going on in the world around us, like I don't know if you heard about it, but in the news, maybe a month ago or two, a bunch of tornadoes just ripped through Dayton, Ohio, right? That's where I live. We live like about three miles from our house. It is just pandemonium. There is crazy destruction everywhere. Everywhere we go now, my son, Eli, who's sitting right here, what's up, Jim? He asks if there's like a little tree broken down anywhere. He's like, what was that from the tornado? Like everything is the destruction of the tornadoes in his mind, and it's great because mostly none of it is actually tornado damage. But I started asking people, and you can do this, not necessarily with tornadoes, but in Indiana, that does happen. Like, okay, how are you guys dealing with this? Like, have you had, there's a bunch of families that are being devastated by these tornadoes. How are you processing through that? If you just ask people that don't know Jesus intentional questions more than, like, how many games do you think the Colts are going to win this year? Or something that's surface level, but you ask a deeper question and you attach it to something that everyone is experiencing, you can sort of gain some ground in moving past the surface level of all those conversations and relationships and dig into something deeper. Um, The third thing on here is if you don't know how to start a conversation or even start a relationship with people, what I would do is I would go out of my way to be kind, to be loving, to be caring, and then be bold. And this seems like a bait and switch, and I promise it's not. Depending on how you do it, you could do it. But, like, if you will, say your neighbor goes on vacation, and you notice that their grass is getting a little long, and you just mow their yard for them. Like, do something nice. Or you are insane, and you say, hey, we'll watch your dogs for free. Like, that would be insane. Probably shouldn't do that. Don't ever do it. That's crazy. But if you wanted to, and you want to em- embrace that, like, you watch their dogs, you could do something kind and loving, 
And then off the back of that, you just try to be bold and start a relationship with them. Like if, if it was me, I'd be like, okay, cool. I mowed this guy's lawn. He notices. And he's like, hey, man, thanks so much. And I would literally say, yeah, sorry. Like our lives are crazy. We don't live a simple life. Like we have so many things on our calendar all the time. But like we really want to, to care for you guys. I'd love to like have dinner sometime. Maybe we clear out some time and, and just start hanging out because we've been neighbors for a few years and we've just let it slip by. We really want to start building a relationship. And you just tell them exactly what you want to do. You're just bold. You just say, yeah, I really want to spend more time with you and be intentional about it. You sort of commit yourself to it so you can't get out of it. And you do that so that you can start building these bridges and you're just bold after you've done something very loving. Um, the last thing I would do if I were you is I would just, and maybe it's in those moments of being bold, invite people to church. Um, there's some statistic, Chris probably knows it, but it's a massive percent. It's like 80-some percent of people would go, say they would go to church if they were invited, but they never get invited. Like everyone's afraid and terrified of inviting someone to church, but statistically people would say like, oh yeah, I'd check out a church if I had a personal invitation from someone who's my friend. Like they would go. They would actually check it out. And I think we're terrified of that. And people don't go to church if you just randomly hand out flyers and say like, hey, come to this thing. But if you know them, the statistics show that they will actually show up to your church, sit with you and Take it in and be open to it. And so I would, I would push you. Like, I know you're scared. I know you don't want to do this. But, like, do some of those things. Try to start those conversations. All right. The second thing that Paul talks about is, is to mind your own business. Now, he says, mind your own affairs. I changed it because it sounds, like, funnier a little bit. Like, yeah, mind your own business, right? Like, it just, it just okay, cool. Like, mind your own business. That sounds better than mind your own affairs. So, I changed it. But what Paul is talking about in this text is they are present in this very early church community. If you remember in the book of Acts, they start sharing all these things. They start, it says they have all these things in common. Uh, the church starts being this hub of benevolence and service to the community where people who have a lot of wealth contribute it and care for those who don't have a lot of wealth. Right? And what is happening in this church is that people in the church that love one another and care for one another are starting getting distracted about that and are more concerned about what everybody's giving, what everybody's doing, how much this person is helping, how much that person is not helping, and they start being obsessed with all the things that are surrounding all the organizational understanding of the church. They're not minding their own affairs. They're not working at their own jobs and being content with that. They are sort of just, you know, getting a little bit. There's a little bit of gossip going on. They're, they're talking about everybody and everybody else's business. All right? So when I say mind your own business, I take that and fast forward to 2019, and I look at the state of the church and the state of America, and I, I think we have a tremendous problem of, like, not minding our own business. I think if you, if you were to um, calculate the amount of time we spend on social media and thinking about the lives of other people and what this person is doing and comparing our lives to this person, to that person, to the other people in our community, thinking about other people and seeing what they're doing because of social media and considering them and minding their business all the time, thinking negatively about our coworkers and our neighbors and seeing what they do, thinking about them, 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 them. We don't mind our own business. And a lot of times, 
And I find myself doing this. Like, I have conversations that surround other people that I'm not talking to, that I'm talking about very negatively, thinking about very negatively. And when you allow yourself to think negatively about people, to talk negatively about people, what's going to happen? Are you going to have this backbone of genuine love and care for someone that allows you and propels you forward to share the gospel with them in a real way? No! When you can't stand your coworker because you talk negative about them and think negative about them all the time, do you think there's any chance you're actually going to ever share the gospel with them? No. And so I say, mind your own business and think of yourself. Think about the ways that Jesus has forgiven you, has accepted you, has cared for you. Start to get those negative talks, negative emotions, negative understandings of other people. Stop focusing so much on other people and comparing your life to theirs. And start to focus on you. And this is what Proverbs says. Some of the Proverbs are amazing. I guess I should say all the Proverbs are amazing. But this proverb is funny to me. It says, without wood, a fire goes out, and without gossip, a quarrel dies down. And some of us in the room, there are some people that because of the way you think and talk about them, they will never come to know Jesus because you'll never share him with them. And you need to pull that wood out of the fire and start seeing them the way Jesus sees them. And loving them the way that Jesus loves them. Mind your own business. It's great. Number three. This one is work hard. Paul says work with your hands. And he's addressing this same issue that we just talked about. That there's all these people in this community that are sharing everything with one another. And they are being super benevolent. And there's so many benefits to the community because of the church. And it's an amazing thing. But there are some people in this community that they are the ones who everyone's not minding their own business about. Everyone's talking about these people. And he speaks to them then and says, hey, like, do your part. They've started just being a leech and, and sucking the life out of this organism. They've started just being lazy and cutting corners and benefiting from the church without contributing anything. And Paul is looking at it and he's seeing that as these people uh, suck the life out of the church and don't contribute to the church, there are outsiders, there are unbelievers who view these people and they say, well, you're a Christ follower? You're a part of those people? It seems like you're just sucking the life off of them. Like, you are taking advantage of that system and it's leaving a bad name in, like, the taste of, the name of Jesus leaves a bad taste in their mouth, right? Because these people in the church are not working with their hands. They're not working hard to have integrity. They're not pulling their weight. And so when I say work hard, uh, what I mean is be a person of integrity and character. If you want to be a good evangelist, you want people to listen when you talk about Jesus, you better be a good representative of Jesus, right? You better be representing the, good, the, the best thing. You better be working hard to have integrity, to have good character, to be someone that when they think of you, when an unbeliever thinks of you, are they thinking, yeah, like, I don't, I don't really want to hang out with them. I can't depend on them. I don't trust them. They're a liar. They're, whatever it is, if they're, if they're listing negative things like, you need to work hard to change that. You need to work hard to be a person that when, when they need something, 
they call you first. And they know, like, man, that guy is a Jesus follower, and I can depend on him. You can earn so many chips with people if you will just work hard to be a person that's dependable, that looks and acts and speaks and thinks like Jesus. Because people will see it. Work hard to do this. And this is the way I would say it and put it on a slide, but the sincerity, transparency, and honesty with which we live our lives will translate into how our neighbors see Jesus. The way that when you're playing at the playground with your kids and the way that you speak to them, the way that you discipline them, the way that you talk to your wife, the way that you talk to your coworkers, the way that you interact with other people, the way that you do it with sincerity, transparency, honesty, or lack thereof, it will translate into how those people hear the name of Jesus when you try to speak to them about it. So I would challenge you, work hard to be a person of character, of integrity. Be a person who's kind, loving, and what will happen is what happened in this church. The gospel will spread. Your faith will grow. People will be encouraged. Outsiders will see and and be excited to spend time with us. Be excited to come in the doors of a church. Be excited to hang out with families who are Christians because they see like, oh yeah, those people's kids are great. Like I don't mind my kids going over to their house, right? Like you want that, covet that, desire that, work hard at that. All right? So the last last slide, last thing. Question is, where do you start? I just threw a bunch at you. Very hard, very loud, right? Where do you start? And I can't answer that question for you specifically. Um, Some of you, you may need to figure out how to um, carve out some time in your schedule. Maybe some of you need to sit down and think about the people that you think negatively of and try to start changing some of those uh, thought patterns and thought processes about them. Some of you, I don't know, maybe just delete social media, stop comparing yourself to other people, like get this all out of your head. I don't know where you need to start, but you need to start somewhere. Because the church is plan A. We have got to do better in this area. I think it would be very embarrassing, and I can say this because I'm a guest and I don't go to this church, I don't have to see you guys ever again, but I think it would be embarrassing if I said, hey, how many of you have shared your faith with someone in the last year? I think it would be very embarrassing. I don't know where you start, but start somewhere. Clear your schedule, open up your heart to love people the way Jesus loved them, Follow Jesus' model of going where the sinners are and then just see what happens. Because I wonder what would happen to this this place in Indiana that I, I, I think of as home that has changed and is growing and is exploding with growth. I wonder what would happen if it wasn't just growing geographically or population-wise, but it was growing because the people of College Park Fishers started sharing their faith. Just this group of people started sharing their faith. I bet you would see unbelievable growth. You would see and hear stories of it echoing throughout other communities, other states, the country, the world. You would hear about it if we actually took the command of Jesus seriously. It took 12 dudes to start this. There's a lot more than 12 people here right now. Let's get after it.
Let me pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for the fact that each one of us who is here today, we have come to know you. We have experienced the message of your truth, the message of your son, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has hit our hearts at some point in time, and we are here today because of what you have done for us. And I pray that we would not just hoard that news and hoard that message and keep it to ourselves. I pray that that we would be so infatuated with that message that it would just burst out of us all day, every day. We just talk about Jesus. We think about Jesus. And our neighbors see him in us. I pray that we would take seriously this call to go and make disciples of all nations, starting right here in Fishers. Amen.